Good morning, friends. Let us pray. This is the collect from Ash Wednesday. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made and forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create and make in us new and contrite hearts that we worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness may obtain of you the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I want to tell you a story about Hayes Fish Market. Now, I know that might seem odd, but you know, it's not. Um, Hayes Fish Market sat for many years um, on Harlem Road, uh, just outside of Buffalo, New York, just outside the city lines. So it was like this weird like combination between Buffalo and Amherst and Cheektowaga, um, kind of, you know, the city and some and its well-to-do suburb and its working class suburb. This like kind of amalgamation. Um, and right there at the crux of things sat Hayes Fish Market. And Buffalo, um, if you don't know, um, was a um, steel town. Um, and um, so we had all kinds of people in Buffalo. We had African-Americans who moved to Buffalo in the Great Migration, and we had lots and lots of different types of immigrants. Um, many Germans and Poles made Buffalo their home. Um, and so Buffalo was very much this melting pot of all different kinds of people. And there in the midst of all of that sat Hayes Fish Market. Now I keep mentioning this fish market because it's kind of indelibly marked in my mind. In fact, as I was preparing for this forum, I went on Google Images to see um, if I could find a picture of the building and if it was the same in my mind today as I remember from um, my time as a little girl. And I mentioned Hayes because every Friday in the month of, in the period, in the season of Lent, um, everyone could be found there at Hayes Fish Market in line. And I know that I would go with my grandmother or my mom and we would wait in that long line with everybody in it and pick up fried shrimp, fried oysters, and whatever fried fish they had that day. That was our Lenten practice, or at least one of them, um, of eating fish on Fridays. And Buffalo, a very Catholic town actually, um, at that time, um, Everybody ate fish on Fridays. So I'm curious as we start, I'd like to hear a little bit about your Lenten rhythms and what they were when you were young, um, what you remember from your earliest Lent, or maybe you didn't do Lent until a later point in your life. And so that's where I want to start is with that question. What is Lent to you? What are your memories of what Lent is supposed to be, quote well, unquote? Well, I just remember one, that we did have fish. <laughs> on Friday, but also that at St. James in that era, on Monday afternoons, we had um, a service for young people. Um, and we did, we performed uh, scenes from the Bible. And a lot of people who were not Saint, friends of ours who were not St. James, in fact, a lot of my Jewish friends, came because they thought it was so great to see 
that's going on. And that's one of my basic memories of Lent here was that it was something we were all engaged in, um, in learning more about Bible by putting in on these skits, so to speak. Wow. Yeah. It's a great thing. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah. I'm going to pick up because I, I was brought up not in an organized religion at all. That came later. My father distrusted organized religion, but because I had lots of friends in my class who were St. James, they dragged me to Monday. So one of my first exposure to the church was on Monday. Yeah. And we all were in the play. Is there a particular story or play that you remember that stood stands I can't out to remember. you? It's, yeah. it's lost in the fog of time. That's okay. <laughs> but you remember being here and yeah, what that meant as a rhythm. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Others, um, what, are your, what were your early Lent practices like? We always had one of those hope chest box and part of our allowance during Lent always had to go in the hope chest and then we would bring it to church at the, for either for Easter or Palm Sunday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a big one. Did any others do that? Remember collecting your quarters, putting them in the little I slots? Had, I had a very close friend who was director of the church in Buffalo. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I looked at a map, I remember the name of the town, the suburb of, yeah. the, of which he was director. I would love to hear more about that, yeah. Um, we had a box that we would, um, we would put all kinds of coins in and it was for UNICEF. Yeah. But I was going to say, um, you know, it, it's a new practice for me to take on something. Um, as, as a young girl growing up, my father always gave up whiskey for Lent and I was to give up all sweets and sugar for Lent. And I remember that was like a sacrifice at that time, <laughs> but, but it was well worth it. Why? What was it that made it worth it? It's just uh, the discipline mm. of knowing that, you know, during this time, 40 days, you, you know, you, you take, you know, you take um, the, the feeling of, of less than, you know, and, and thinking of yourself as, you know, able to give up something that is, is something that you enjoy and then you, you find it in another way, in other joyful practices. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. We got a couple more over here. Um, I, <clears throat> um, we had someone in our family helping uh, who was an ex-Roman Catholic nun. And so the fish on Friday thing was a, that was a, a conclusion, a foregone conclusion. Also, um, a as Christina said, uh, no sweets, you know, uh, you know, going into a little bit of sacrificial behavior as opposed to uh, just, hey, hell, hell, uh, hell, fellows and whatever, well met. Um, my most profound experience in Lent was in college, a friend of mine organized a prayer group that we'd meet in the college chapel 
once a week and we read the book of Timothy because it had enough chapters that we could get through it in Lent and then we'd have a little discussion afterwards. And that was something we all took on. It was a group of about five of us, including a friend who went on to go to seminary and is now a professor of theology. And my friend who organized it is an Episcopal church, is an Episcopal priest. Uh, she used to work in Fall River. I've lost track of her, but I have to look her up. But it was a really profound experience. I love that because that's adding instead of yes. taking away. Absolutely. And the power of Timothy and how it's impacted the lives of so many. Yeah. So those are lengths of the past. Um, I'm curious about what your practices are now. Have you developed a practice? Are you thinking about one? Let's hear about what Lent looks like for you personally now, please. Well, I'm discovering the wilderness. It mm. isn't that I've never heard or thought of it before, but I never thought of it as it being in my own life. And I think sometimes when one is worried about things, troubled about things, that I'm beginning to learn to pray and not fear and not wake up in the middle of the night and worry and then try to go back to sleep again. Because I think that providing that, if you will, contact with the Lord or enriching my relationship with God is something that has been very helpful to me in that regard. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Others, what are your practices? Thank you, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Marisa. Um, for the second year in a row, I am part of a virtual contemplative prayer group mm. through the good auspices of St. Peter and St. Siegfried Church in Stockholm. It's a Church of England, Anglican, English-speaking church where I worshiped when I was on holiday nine years ago in Stockholm, and I've kept in touch uh, through Facebook and all of that. And what is, what is this year and last year, every day during Lent, wherever I am in the world at a time appointed by me and the others, there are 18 of us doing this, uh, 20 minutes of centering prayer, silent centering prayer every day. We are then assigned a prayer partner. So there was a gentleman in Sweden I'm praying for. I hope he's doing the same for me in that Every day after I do 20 minutes of centering prayer, I wish him well. I say, may he be happy, may he be at peace, may he, I don't know, whatever. Some, some sort of blessing with the hope that he is doing the same for me. I did that last year and loved it so much, I decided to do it again. And I really, it gives me a chance to be, st you know, be still and know that I am God in the midst of being a New Yorker who's here and there and everywhere and doing so much, just to be yeah. for 20 minutes yeah. a day. Others, sorry, go ahead. What? What? I was just asking if, if the atmosphere, if you will, is in Stockholm the same as it is in New York. Um, I mean, this was this is a smaller congregation, as I recall, but it's a wonderful group of um, it's an international congregation, as I recall, because it's in the diplomatic quarter of Stockholm. And it was a wonderful group of people that I got to know for that one Sunday. And um, but it but the man who is Zach's counterpart at this church is Church of England priest. He's called a chaplain. So, I mean, there are a variety of, of things that people do to get connected to Lent um, and this walk through the wilderness that we are on together. And I don't know whether those of you who aren't speaking up at this part aren't because you haven't decided yet what you're taking on maybe. 
And so that's what we're going to talk about for a little bit today is kind of what your opportunities might be, some suggestions. This is what we talk about uh, in the sermon, but um, you've got uh, two handouts on your table, and I'll refer you to the smaller one, the first one of them. Um, our anchors for Lent are, on uh, the traditional Lenten practices, are praying, fasting, and giving, prayer, um, almsgiving, um, and uh, fasting. And we've talked about that, right? We talked about the little boxes that you put uh, money into, hope chests, right? We talked about the giving up meat on Fridays. Um, and we talked about adding in prayer along the way. Um, but there are other things that we can do. There are a whole menu of things. And the, the, the trick is not to be overwhelmed by Lent, but to figure out kind of where your heart is being led, um, in what areas might you decide that you need to spend a little bit of time, give a little bit of work to um, in your relationship with God. And so um, this, uh, this little card, um, talks about different things. We've got a daily devotional for Lent that I hope that you're subscribed to our emails. So you're getting that every morning. And maybe you start your day with that by reading that devotional, which gives you a little piece of scripture and thoughts of one of any number of people in our community um, about how they are thinking about that scripture and how they are spending a holy Lent. Um, and then you've got to Stations the Cross on Thursday. You have the opportunity to do confession. Um, you may not know that we have a right for reconciliation or confession in our prayer book that you are able to do with the priest. And Lent is a perfect time to, um, to do that. Um, it takes some preparation. But if you get in touch with Zach or Jay or me, we are happy to walk through that right with you. Um, and it's one that most Episcopalians don't even know is there, let alone take advantage of. Lent is the perfect time to do that because through the preparation and the act itself, it gives you the opportunity to be honest with yourself before God. It's not about Zach or Jay or me taking a scorecard of what you've done. It's really the magic is in the preparation and you preparing your heart to confess to God where you are and where you might want to or need to head. So that's an opportunity that's there as well. Um, almsgiving. I mean, we know what this is. These are the boxes. Um, but it's also in the acts that we do, acts of service that we do for others, like volunteering with the meal program um, or um, helping others. Um, our lay Eucharistic visitors go out and uh, take communion and fellowship to some of our parishioners, those in our community who aren't able to get here on Sundays. That's an important ministry. Um, and um, so that's one of the ways that we do it. And through our support of St. James, of course, um, that's another form of almsgiving, that if you haven't made a commitment for this year, if you haven't made a commitment ever, you are invited to share in the support of St. James. And then that final part, the fasting, and that's the one that we probably think about the most, right? Because the question is always, what are you giving up for Lent? And you can do that. You should look at your life to see what things you may be depending on more than you should. Um, sweets, sugar, 
whiskey, right? I mean, it can be things like that, but you can also look at it a different way. And that is adding a practice instead um, that is designed to help you reflect and share God's love with others. And so um, you've got a QR code that um, at the bottom here, which you can use, but because you're here in the room, um, you've got uh, the actual handout that talks about different acts of love. Now, this does come from uh, the movie A Case for Love that um, was shown in theaters back at the end of January. One night only, a chance to um, listen to Bishop Curry and other people talk about how um, they have found an anchor of love in times of hardship in their lives, what it has meant for them, um, and a challenge where Bishop Curry has said, um, he's asking all of us to be deliberate about how we share love in our lives. And so Lent provides a perfect time to do this, a perfect time for us to kind of dig in and say, all right, um, how can I be deliberate about sharing unselfish love in my life? Now, what is unselfish love? Thoughts? It's not a quiz, although we have talked about it. <laughs> what is unselfish love to you? Good morning. Well, giving love to the person ahead of yourself, thinking of the other person first, mm -hmm. what that need might be, uh, and being able to meet that, which is a wonderful feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Say more about that wonderful feeling that comes from it. What's <clears throat> going on there? Well, I'll probably get a good dinner later. <laughs> uh, no, it's just... Um, it feels good to give. It feels good to bless, and the blessing is really returned yeah. as you give. That's right. You feel good right away. Absolutely. Yeah. Other thoughts on that? Unselfish love and the feeling that it gives you? I think, I think um, unselfish love also means that you want to do something for others without expecting anything for return. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. No expectation of what you might get back. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Other than that fuzzy feeling in your heart, right? Yeah. I think smiling at people. Mm. And because I'm often wearing a mask when I'm on the bus, for instance, I find myself smiling underneath the mask. And, and I sometimes make an eye contact with someone and I'll say, I'm smiling, right? <laughs> um, so I think that that smile is something that is a generous offering and even an immediate response to someone that not just brightens your day, but actually reinforces your sense of being a human being with other human beings. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a specific thing that one can do um, to, um, you know, it's the, the yoga phrase, the light in me honors the light in you. A smile is kind of a way of showing um, that I see the God in you, I see the divine in you, um, and I share in that human connection. Absolutely, absolutely. And just in terms of the smile, I mean, it, it doesn't mean that you have to do something enormous in order to help somebody. It can be just holding the door open or if they have their ta the tag sticking out of their, you know, pushing the tag down or, um, you know, you don't have to feel like, okay, I want to do something unselfish. I'm, you know, got this thing for Lent. I, um, just very simple acts of kindness. Um, yeah. 
work well. Absolutely, absolutely. It doesn't have to be a grand gesture, but, but, right? The opportunity this Lent, if we're willing to add and step into this, no matter what other practices we might adopt, is to be deliberate about doing acts of love that take us outside of ourselves, that take us outside of our comfort zones, right? Um, and into something that we can perform for someone who's not us, who's probably not our immediate family, although there are plenty of opportunities there too, um, and share that light and love. Absolutely, yes. I would say for me, listening more than speaking. Mm. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, meaning, what do I mean by that? And maybe being more of a compassionate presence and allowing someone who maybe is, is sharing something painful or challenging in his or her life. And instead of saying, well, this is what I think you should do. And I, you know, and I'm so bright and intuitive and whatever, you know, it's not my business maybe. And uh, more often than not, it's not my business. And it's about just a lot, just, listening because maybe that's what that person needs and especially if a person is a um, is a person of faith maybe that's their way of praying to god mm. and why am i interfering by saying well this is what you should do or i think you should do this or just just be and be that listening presence and being compassionate without inter interjecting right. my thoughts yeah we and, and some people call that the ministry of presence yeah. right that it is such a gift um to be present with someone and not have to insert yourself into that moment, but just be there. And the stillness and the, and the strength, maybe, the camaraderie that that provides, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found that I just started praying, on, when I'm on public transportation, I pray, pray for the fellow passengers who are with me on that form of transportation, subway, bus, whatever. But it, it feels good. Yeah. Can you say that again a little louder? I've just started this recently where when I'm on a bus or a subway, I pray for my fellow passengers and that they might find happiness, health, and goodness. Yeah. yeah. Whatever I'm feeling at the moment. I, I think uh, public transportation in New York um, is a good place for prayer. Absolutely. Uh, on, on a number of levels. Absolutely. What other things? What other things might you um, consider in this pot of unselfish love, doing acts for others? I think that uh, changing the routine, deliberately changing the routine, whatever that is. I seem to be somebody that um, I got a call yesterday from my cousin in Florida that her her uh, uh, brother-in-law had just come had was pra practically dead mm. in Colorado, and then I've become the person that sends the email around to everybody saying everybody should pray for Steve. Uh, I don't know what all that means, I have to say. I just know that it's um, a blessing to be a connector. Um, I feel entirely inadequate for it, uh, but it, it's something I can do that maybe will help somebody else come close to their center and where they need to be. Thank you for being there for, for them. And, and, and uh, yeah. Stephen Fuller is his name. Stephen, yep. Thank you for that. And may we take a moment to include Stephen in our prayers. 
at this time in his life. So our opportunities for acts of love and Lenten practices in general are ones that are both easy to do, but there's opportunity in trying to figure out um, where the friction is in your life and leaning in there. That's where real opportunity lies, not just kind of um, what you would do anyways, but what else can you do that draws you deeper into your relationship with your fellow humans and thus your relationship with Christ. And so I'm wondering if you've, any of you have thought about that, um, about where those friction points might be um, that um, you can lean into. So we're gonna take about three or four minutes, I know it's not a lot of time, and at your tables, um, chat with each other about where your friction point might be and how you might use this Lent as a way to lean in and work on that. All right, let's come back together just for a minute, and then you're welcome to return to your table discussions. If I could just get one or two volunteers who might be willing to share a little, not, don't share somebody else's friction point, but if you're willing to share your own, or if you're willing to share a little bit about what your table discussed. Um, do I have any takers? Um, I'll just share what several of us had in common, um, which were life transitions that mm. we're in at the moment. And so they're friction points to a greater or lesser extent because they're, they're questions of extent um, and how. Mm -hmm. And it's sometimes easier to say yes, no, and more difficult to think how fast, how much. Um, and so uh, several of us are in what we almost call like meditative places about, about where's the next, where, where and how to act. And did anybody have any ideas of how the practices and rhythms of Lent might help during well, that that's time what made of us transition? Aware of it. Is, it, is it raise the level of urgency? Uh, um, yeah. Not urgency in the sense of got to finish it before Lent, but raise the awareness of, of where those unsettled places are um, and turns our attention yeah, to it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? I'm going to mention what Cecil just brought up. Um, which is, since he's had some difficulty physically recently, he, is, he has become the recipient of kindness from so many other New Yorkers in New York. And to be on the receiving end is indeed a blessing. And that was one of the wonderful things that he expressed that I think was worth sharing. Yeah, you know, that's such an excellent note. And I'm going to end on that one if I can. Because we are so used to doing for others, it is difficult for us to accept help for ourselves. And that also can be your act of love or your Lenten practice is saying yes to the help that is offered to you. Sometimes that's how God is trying to work on your life is through others. And we are so, um, you know, just it, we know everything that we need to do for ourselves. We're so self-reliant that sometimes we miss those God moments that come from others. So it's not just that you to be the God moment, but for you to be open for those God moments to happen in your life, to be receptive of the smiles and the acts of kindness that others are trying to do to you. That is an excellent note to end on. 
I'm going to head upstairs. Feel free to keep talking. God be with you.